Hello everybody, this is episode 415 and we're continuing our journey through Slackware. All of the packages provided by the default install of Slackware, specifically 14.2, but this probably applies to 15 as well. It doesn't change that much, trust me. 15 is just on the horizon, I can almost see it. But it's not here yet, so we're just continuing down 14.2. Of course, all the packages that I talk about in this series are available for your OS, more than likely. They're open source, so whether you're running Slackware, Fedora, Debian, OpenSUSE, NetBSD, even macOS and Windows, it's open source. You can probably get it on your platform, so this is, this is useful information, potentially. In this very episode, we're going to continue where we left off previously, which was GCC Java. No, sorry, GCC Objective-C. We're done with that. We're going to the next package after those, which is GDB, the GNU Debugger. GNU Debugger is a an interesting package that or an interesting application that I feel once you kind of get the hang of it, then you can start using it and discover new things about it. I mean, that kind of describes all applications, I guess, but GNU debugger maybe maybe in terms of a you know commands this is this is less a command and more an interface really and you'll you'll see what I mean very soon now I, I should say before I get started that I've done a GNU debugger tutorial already on Hacker Public Radio so if you go to hackerpublicradio.org and look for uh, episode 3284. That's Introduction to GDB, hosted by Klaatu. That's me. That gives you one approach to learning GDB. And in this in this episode, I'm going to give you a slightly more, um, I guess, a, a more pointed approach. Let's put it that way. So um, I'm actually going to, I think, probably use essentially the same demo application, for which I apologize. I did actually try to come up with some other example, and I just couldn't... I. It, it's it's harder than you think to come up with a a way to make you know basic usable code crash in a meaningful way. I mean, I can I can make stuff crash by just writing nonsense, but in a meaningful way, it's it's it was a little bit of a stretch. And even like I, I poked around online to try to find some some good sort of for instances, and and even those, a lot of them were in the end they kind of boiled down to the same thing that I was doing. So I didn't necessarily, or they were just so esoteric that um, that I just didn't feel like it was really useful for demonstration purposes, at least not within my understanding. I mean. Uh, it's probably very useful to people who really, really know this stuff. But I am no no expert on C and C++, and that is primarily what GDB targets. GDB does claim, I believe, to be able to do other programming languages. I can't... Yeah, here we go. You can use GDB to debug C, C++, which they call C at T for some reason. I don't know that one. Uh, C++, Fortran and Modula-2. So I've heard of some of those things. Uh, apparently you can supposedly use some things of GDB to like debug Java and, and some other things, but but the, the usefulness of it is apparently limited. So I'm going to go to a demo folder here, and I'm going to create an application called... Uh, I think I'm going to call it Crashy.cpp. 
So yeah, let's try that. Crashy.cpp. And in Crashy CPP, I'm going to write a simple little application that's going to assign a variable or, or try to reference a variable in a in an incorrect way. So first I will do a hash include IO stream. That's hash include space angle bracket IO stream close angle bracket hash include standard lib dot h that's angle bracket stdlib dot h angle bracket because I want to use a random number generator hash include standard io dot h I need that because I want to use the printf function preface this with using namespace standard std semicolon and then I'll make a function called int main or called main and it's going to return int to return zero ideally int main parentheses parentheses uh, curly brace and the first line we'll do is we'll create the random seed so that we can use the random number generator so we'll in instantiate that with s rand parentheses time parentheses null all capital null parentheses parentheses semicolon so that's just starting up a, a random generator seed. It's pretty typical in programming languages to have to, to to sort of announce to your computer that you're about to use a random number. So start building up entropy. We'll do int um, int alpha equals rand parentheses parentheses. Do a percent sign eight to give it a little bit of a ceiling, and then print f parentheses quote alpha is set to percent s as in string and then we'll do a new line so that's backslash n close quote comma alpha parentheses semicolon so even if you don't know c or c plus plus you probably can figure that we're printing this this the, the words alpha is set to and then percent s is a placeholder and it says print a string that i'll give you in a moment in this place and then after the comma so i, I do the new line close quote comma and then I give it a value, alpha. And then I close that statement. And then at the very, very end of all of this, I'm going to do a return zero. That'll signal success. And then I'll close the curly brace. And that's crashy.cpp. Now, here's some important notes about GDB. GNU debugger. You don't want to debug optimized code, typically. There's no value. Well, there is less value in doing that. That is non-ideal. So, it, it wouldn't actually matter that much in this case, but all the same, I'm going to pretend like it matters and do a dash capital O zero, which we know from our GCC discussions in the previous episodes means optimize not at all. And then I'm going to, we also know of GDB, I think. Yeah, we do because of our discussions of symbols and stripping and things like that from previous episodes that debug symbols are significant. So we are going to very specifically include debug symbols into this compilation. And that's the dash lowercase g. And finally, we're going to do a dash lowercase o to define our output. And we'll call this crashy. And then we're going to point it to the file that we want to compile, which is crashy.cpp. So that's g++ dash capital O zero dash lowercase g dash lowercase o crashy and then crashy cpp. Okay, that is rendered an executable file, an elf binary. So if I do a dot slash crashy, I get a crash, segmentation fault. So there you go, that's crashed. Let's find out why. We, you, you may already know why if you've been listening to the code, but, but you might not, you might not have caught it. So we'll do gdb crashy. 
that loads Crashy into GDB, but it doesn't run it yet. So we're sitting at a GDB prompt. So to proceed from here, a, a very typical first step would be run. In theory, of course, this might be running the application for you, and it might launch perfectly fine. If the crash doesn't happen right away, it could just launch your GUI interface, or it could it could give you your your interactive prompt in the terminal. Whatever is supposed to happen may happen at first, and you might have to click around and do some behavior that has been uh, proven or or that is suspected to cause your application to crash. Now, in this in this case, it says starting program ha um, d demo crashy alpha is set to is set to null inferior one process three one zero nine eight exited normally. So, in other words, in GDB, my application that was absolutely positively sure to crash has not crashed. There you go. That's your lesson for GDB. It makes things magically work. Um, I'm kidding, of course. I don't know why it didn't. It, it worked. That's really weird. GDB crashy run. There we go. It has faulted. It is now. It is now crashed. Wow. Well, now I'm really curious as to why it didn't crash initially. Did I load the wrong GDB crashy run start program? Alpha is set to null. Inferior exited normally. Well, I'm gonna take a screenshot of that. I don't. I don't get it. But I'm gonna have to I'll have to look into that later. It's so weird. Okay. Anyway, it has crashed. Run starting program. Crashy. Program received signal sig segv segmentation fault, and it tells me that at zero x zero 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 seven f f f f seven one c zero c zero b in vf printf from lib sixty four lib c, and that's where it sort of trails off. It doesn't really say anything. It just says that that's there's probably a problem there. It's, it's spitting that out at me. Okay, so when you've identified a crash, or when you've uh, reached a crash, again, a common thing to do is to look at the backtrace. And to get a backtrace, you type in B-A-C-K-T-R-A-C, and this is, again, at a... that you're still in GDB, so this isn't something you're doing in Bash. This is GDB interface, uh, and you know that because it's got, instead of a dollar sign Bash prompt, it's got a parentheses GDB close parentheses prompt. So I'm typing in backtrace, and it says that if I spell it correctly, it says, um, it, it lists three different things for me. It says zero, um, memory address, VF printf from lib64, libc.so.6. So that's, that's familiar. That was the error sort of I saw at the, you know, at the end of the crash. So what that kind of hints to you is that we're viewing things in in uh, I, what I think of as, as sort of reverse order. So for instance, this system call was the last thing to happen before the crash, and as I go down this list, I'm getting farther away from the crash. In this particular instance, that doesn't actually matter that much, because we've only got three entries. But as you can imagine, in a, in an, in a GUI application or something that, that's sitting here idling, and you're waiting for the crash to happen, and then you click on a button or something, and it crashes. Rather than having to start at the top and sort of scroll down a, a backtrace log, getting to the point you... The thing that happened right when it crashed, right there at the top for you. And as you go down the list, then you're going back through system calls and functions and things like that to to see, you know, potentially what what occurred. 
So it's important to kind of know that probably the VF printf uh, call and the printf call from lib64 libc.so.6, we probably haven't uncovered a new exciting bug in libc with our um, you know eight line code of misassigning a variable. So those probably aren't things that you would want to narrow in on. And I think very often that, I guess I can't say that, but certainly at, at a certain level, it would be probably reasonable to expect that really low-level system calls are probably not the cause of your crash. They may be indicative of something else. For instance, the fact that this is VF print F and print F, it kind of does give away what's going on with this bug. But I'm not going to I'm going to pretend like I we're not seeing that right now. So the third the the third thing in the list is 0x a bunch of zeros 4008e8 in main. Well, that sounds familiar. We have a main function at crashycpp.10. So again, this is the like this is the only crash that we've that that we have. This is the only we have three lines of potential bug areas. So I happen to know that that's that's definitely the problem. But if you didn't, then you could you know, you could cross-reference uh, your code and see what's on line 10 because it says crashy.cpp10. So I could look at uh, line 10 in the code crashy at the in the source code cpp go to line 10 hmm it's a printf statement that's interesting okay well that's good to know uh and then knowing that this is something that you want to kind of zero in on you can then create a breakpoint it is quite common to create breakpoints and I'll, I'll, you'll, you'll you'll see why um they kind of sound almost unimpressed unimpressive because you think well it's just going to pause the program right i mean like why is that a big deal well, you'll you'll see actually. So we're gonna break at crashy.cpp colon ten because that's where the crash was identified. So we're gonna put a breakpoint at it at that location. So the way that we do that is we type in break b r e a k space crashy.cpp colon ten, and it confirms hey a breakpoint exists now at zero x four zero zero eight d four file crashy.cpp line 10. Okay, great. So now what? Well, now that we've we've essentially we kind of modified our program. I mean, we haven't actually, but I, I guess you could say we've tagged it. Um, actually, we've you know we're using the GDB interface to really manipulate how this code is being executed, which is really really cool. So the next thing to do then is just to run that the the application again. Well, the application's already run uh, um, loaded into the GDB interface. So I don't have to like close GDB or anything like that. I just uh, run. I just execute the the run command again. So R U N, and then it will prompt. It's prompting me right now to to warn me that hey, the program being debugged has been started already. Do you really want to start it from the beginning? Well, in this case, yes, I do. I, I happen to know that I do want to restart the application because I've inserted that breakpoint. I'm ready to see what happens on a second try. So I'm typing in Y for yes, hitting return, and then it starts the application again. Now you'll recall the, the last time, the moment after I started it, it crashed. This time it's different. I start crashy. It says breakpoint one main at crashy.cpp uh, colon 10. And then it even prints out the line for me, 10. Print F, alpha is set to percent S uh, backslash N 
comma alpha. Cool. So I know exactly what's what's in you know where I am at the code. But the cool thing is that we're not just we're not just sort of scrubbing through the file. We're scrubbing through the code itself as it is executing. So right now in this application, we're frozen so that the application is in a state that is ready to crash. Whatever is loaded right now into our memory is more than likely the stuff that is causing this application to crash. So now it's just a question of analyzing what's loaded in, in, into memory. So for instance, what are our variables here? Well, we have alpha and that's it that's our that's our variable well we can see what's inside that variable because honestly i don't know you don't know um we have no idea what's in alpha we we know that we believe we put a random number into it so if i do print alpha just print space alpha a-l-p-h-a because alpha is the name of the variable of course as with any variables or as as with I guess most variables. It's completely arbitrary. It could have been penguin. It could have been um, tux. It could have been alpha, beta, d delta. It doesn't matter. I just chose alpha because why not? Print space alpha return, and it says dollar sign one, which in this case re references alpha, equals two. The the number two. Um, so that's good. That's good to know. And um, that's kind of as far as we get with with this demo session um, from there you just have to kind of use your brain and figure out why this thing might have crashed and upon seeing that value it might occur to you that the number two is an integer data type and here in this tenth line of the code it very clearly says alpha is set to percent s and percent s of course stands for a string so you've got a mismatch there you've got an integer data type that you're trying to print f as a string and that that doesn't work so i could quit gdb now it, it asks me if i'm sure that i want to do that yes i am and now i could open up crashy again and i could do whatever i felt was necessary to um to rescue this variable. So one thing that I might, that I could do, the easy way around this, I guess, would be alpha is set to percent s, no, percent d, as in digit. Save and close that. Do the GCC stuff again. So that's G plus plus dash capital O zero dash G for debugging dash O for out. I'm gonna put crashy good just so everything stays separate. And then the thing that I want to compile is crashy.cpp. This time I did, um, I got I, I got some kind of executable here. So if I do crashy good, uh, it says alpha is set to five. I'll do it again. Alpha is set to five. I'll do it again. Alpha is set to two, five. Wow, well, five is a good number. Three, zero, and, and so on. Actually, let's do a really quick test. I'm gonna go back into crashy. Oops, I just opened up the binary. Did not mean to do that. Crashy.cpp, and I'm going to set this back to string, so now it would render a crashy application again. I will test it really quick. Yes, it does. Okay. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to do g plus plus dash o zero dash g, all that other good stuff, and then I'm going to I'm going to also add a dash capital W a l l, and then compile that. Interestingly, this time. I get a warning from GCC itself, and it says warning format percent s expects argument of type character or 
it's C H A R asterisk. I don't know how to say that, but yeah, it's character uh, array. But argument two has type int, and it 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 flags that for you. It it shows you the line where that happens. It doesn't give me a line number for some weird reason, but it shows you the line. You can search for it. It's got a little green carrot um, underneath the alpha part, so you know sort of like at the end of of which statement the the statement at you know it, it just signals that for you. So dash capital W A L L is really really handy. It can be overly verbose sometimes, and that's probably um, why uh, a lot of people can tend to sometimes ignore it, myself included, um, or or rather not ignore it but forego it really. Um, but it's worth it is definitely worth mentioning because that's a that's a useful like that that would have saved me a whole bunch of debugging if I'd just seen that warning and you know it's one of those things where it's if you know better than the the compiler then maybe that is just a warning and you don't have to go fix it but in this case you could think oh well the compiler's correct about this this is wrong so you would you would ostensibly be able to fix it before um, delivering it and puzzling over why it's not working. That's GDB, really. I mean, there are other commands in GDB that I could rattle off, um, but I, I don't think that that's probably the most effective way to learn GDB. I feel like the, the a really useful way to learn it is to kind of step through the sequence that I just relayed, relayed to you and just kind of figure out where where the 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 really useful part of it is for you and and figure out other commands that that help you get through your application like you know continue and conditional breakpoints and and things like that um and and you can step through it and and sort of you know go one step look at a variable type in next for the next step do another. You can watch variables like with a literal command called watch, W-A-T-C-H. You could watch alpha is greater than five, or, or you know, you, you can you can create sort of logical flows for yourself uh, to zero in on what exactly is causing the bug uh, in your application and, and ideally get it all fixed. So that's GDB. The more you use it, um, the more you can get used to the flow like the intended workflow of it and once you get used to that then then you can actually utilize it for for real work and i think that's the danger to a lot of these applications that we're going through right now is that you can kind of hear all the options and all the all the things that you can do with them and it kind of it's it's a lot of information that might not be very useful in any in any immediate sense but if you get started with it just with simply and i'll go through the sequence again really quick but if you get started with it really simply then you can build on that knowledge so the sequence is that you want to compile your code i mean that's honestly that's that's step number zero you need to have compiled your code now strictly that's not true you can get debug symbols from wherever you get your debug symbols on Slackware, you can compile it. You can compile the debug symbols in yourself. Don't strip the binary. You will have all the symbols that you need in the binary. It will be bigger than usual, but that's okay. And then you can debug. On Ubuntu, as we have learned, uh, you can add a debugging repository or something, and then you can add the the debugging symbols 
onto the package as it already exists. So there's that. On Fedora, I imagine it's a similar process. I haven't done that um, possibly ever or possibly... No, I think I did do that once with for Blender, now that I'm thinking about it. Anyway, um, it's been a long time, though. That was like Fedora 8 or 9. So whatever the process is for your distribution, you get in there, you add those debug symbols. Preferably, you're compiling it from source. You are including debug symbols with dash G, and you're not optimizing it with dash O zero. And once you have that, then you load it into GDB. So you just type in GDB and then the path to the executable that you want to start with GDB. That starts a GDB prompt and loads that application, that executable, into into GDB essentially. Type run, R-U-N, to start the application. From there, your application is running. If it is a graphic application, it will pop up on screen as usual. If it is a command with some kind of prompt, it will give you a prompt. Whatever whatever you expect to have happen will happen once you type in run. Now, if you need to use it for a while to get it to crash, you can do that. If you know that it's going to crash right away, then you'll get a crash right away. At that point, at the crash point, do a backtrace. B-A-C-K-T-R-A-C-E, backtrace. Again, your application's loaded into GDB, so it knows what you want to backtrace. You're just you're just telling it backtrace your environment right now, GDB, and so that's what it does. It gives you a backtrace, and that is, as the name implies, sort of back to front. You're going to see the the most recent thing that has happened during the code execution at the top of the list, and you're going to want to kind of scan down to zero in on your code because the assumption here is that, or, or you know, the application's code. Because the assumption here is that you're debugging the application. You're not debugging libc or or anything low-level like that. Unless you think you are, in which case, you know, you can go compile those separately and, and debug those. But more than likely, the, the, the code that was executing and then crashed is at fault, and you just kind of need to figure out what, what's going on. So you do a backtrace. You scan for the first... I, I would... The way I've done it is just scan for the first valid application focused code, which you can normally find, you, you can identify it because it's got something to do with the source code of that application. You know, if you're running foo, and in your backtrace you see foo.c, well that that's probably something related to your application, uh, a lot more so than slash lib64 slash libc.so.6 or whatever. Once you've seen the backtrace, and you've zeroed in on your first suspect, then you want to insert a breakpoint at that at the point of that suspect. So if it's on line 234, then you'll breakpoint foo.c colon 234 or whatever. It, it it tells you exactly where where the the suspicious activity was located. So that's where you'll do your breakpoint. GDB is designed. It's it's pretty smart. So yes, you put the breakpoint at that point you don't you don't have to like minus one line from it as if though you know you i want to break right before the crash happens no you just go right there at the line that'll be fine and then rerun your application so type in run again oh so break break food yeah i said that already okay so you enter to your breakpoint it'll give you confirmation you have lots of breakpoints um and then you can type in run it will ask you if you really really want to restart your application you probably do so that'll restart and before it gets to line 234 or whatever pretend line i said it was it will pause and now you know that the application is in a state of very nearly crashing like the next step that it takes it is going to crash 
So your job at this point is to look at the state of your application. Print out variables with the print uh, command. Try to figure out what's in the, in, in the memory space of that application to see what's not agreeing with something else. And it can be difficult sometimes. Sometimes it's really, you know, advanced stuff like, oh, this buffer hasn't been initialized and how do you know that? That might be difficult to tell. It, it, you know, it, it can get very, very sort of uh, detailed. It's not always the friendliest kind of error messages. Sometimes it's just, it's you and a bunch of X's and zeros, and and hopefully you kind of can grasp maybe what's going on. Sometimes you can't, and that's okay. I mean, sometimes just just the backtrace will be enough for a, some other developer to to look further into the process. Uh, other times you might be able to figure out what's going on, and who knows? I mean, you might even be able to fix it. So that's GDB. To leave GDB prompt, you type in quit, Q-U-I-T, in case I forgot to, to mention that. And yeah, that's for C and C++. So if it's not C or C++, you probably won't have as much success with GDB as otherwise. Let's see, is it time for a coffee break? I feel like it's time for a coffee break, but the same can be said of me at any point during the day. Actually, it is time for a coffee break. So let's take a coffee break, and then we'll come back and talk about G-Core and GDB Server. two other binaries in the GDB package. Those are G-Core and GDB Server. G-Core is a way to get debugging output in the form of a file. I don't know exactly the use case for this. Um, I mean, it, it mimics a core dump, and that's probably very useful. Um, I, I don't know sort of the moment that you're supposed to take the sort of snapshot of this of the memory footprint of, of an application. So I, I don't quite wrap my head around and, and the documentation doesn't add a whole lot of context other than, I mean, how to do it is easy. You do gcore and then optionally the name of the file you want it to save to. It doesn't really matter. It gives it a pretty explicit name. And then the PID of the process that you want the core dump for. So if you start an application running and it pops up as, I don't know, 3133, then you could do gcore3133, and it takes a, sort of a snapshot of the memory state of that application and saves it as core.3133. Then you can look at that file in GDB. So GDB, and then when, when you're in GDB, just type in core, C-O-R-E, space core dot, whatever I said the number was, the real life one in my system looks like 31878, and that loads it in. It says core was generated by dot slash crashy. Uh, here's the memory address. But the details are a little bit fuzzy. The The details of this application are, are not super useful to me. And I'm not sure, like I say, it's, it's I'm not quite sure if I understand how to um, take kind of a recording of an application. So for instance, if I, I inserted some sleep statements into Crashy so that it would run uh, as a process, and then I could ideally sort of debug it after the crash, but 
I it, once it crashes, then the PID no longer exists, and I can no longer take a core dump of it. So, and, and like I say, the documentation info GDB doesn't really explain that process. So I do not understand when G-Core would be useful, but it could be that I'm just not understanding. Maybe it's not... Well, I mean, it's a command, and it says... Yeah, the, the manped page says that that's how you're supposed to execute it. So yeah, I'm not, not too sure of, of what the intent there is. But yeah, you can do a backtrace. You can see kind of like some of the stuff that was happening, which wasn't a whole lot because it was just sleeping, like I say, until it crashed. But at that point, the G-Core had already been... The core had been dumped, and then the crash happened, and then after the crash, of course, there's no more core to dump. Not super clear on that one, so if you've got a lot of experience with G-Core and want to email more context to me, that would be great. Or anyway, it would be nice. I mean, I don't know if it would be great. I don't know if I'm going to use G-Core all that often. Last but not least is GDB Server. This is the server component of GDB. You can launch a GDB process on one machine, and then sort of remote into that session from another one. It's not that hard to do, so let's go for it. So here I am on my Slackware machine, and I open a terminal, uh, and I type in GDB server, localhost, colon 2345. That's the that's the um, the port number suggested by the um, by by the man page. I, it's as good as anything else. I'm shocked that it's not actually already in use. But uh, localhost two three colon 2345, and then, for instance, emacs foo.txt. This is, again, the example straight out of the man page. So then it says, process emacs created, PID is 12713, listening on port 2345. And now I will just swing my chair over here to my... CentOS stream machine and fire up GDB. So that is correct. This, um, this, no, I don't want that actually. Oh, I can't. Yeah, okay. Um, there we go. So this is not, so the, the target, the Slackware machine is considered the target because that's where the process is running and that's the thing that we're debugging essentially. So it's it's idling away in a GDB server mode. Over on my CentOS stream machine, I don't use the GDB server command. I just use GDB. So GDB, then I get a GDB prompt, and then I type in a command to GD, for GDB um, called target. So target remote, target space, remote space, and then the location of the target. So in this case, uh, I'm going to just do the... Uh, IP address of the machine, so 192.168.1.8, let's say, colon 2345, because that's the port that the GDB server is running on. I hit that, and um, first of all, over in on my Slacker machine, I see that a new line has appeared in my terminal. It says remote debugging from host whatever, and here in my GDB screen on my CentOS stream machine, uh, it's telling me that it is reading user bin emacs-26.3-with-x11 from remote target. Warning, file transfers from remote targets can be slow. Use set sysroot to access files locally instead. Reading the remote target. Uh, oh, no debug symbols are found in that particular application. 
So I guess if I wanted something more exciting, I would have to run something. So I'm going to quit that. Now, quitting out of the GDB instance over on CentOS kills the GDB server. So I guess instead of running that, do I still have crashy that waits several seconds? Let's see. So I'm going to do GDB server, localhost, colon, 2345, um, in my demo folder, crashy. And then I, I think... I'm not mistaken, I think I have that set up to just sort of idle. I don't know if I got there in time, though. No debugging. Yeah, so, oh well. So, um, I don't have a really great example, obviously, of anything f uh, to, to remote debug. Uh, and I don't want to go to the trouble of compiling debug symbols into something interesting enough for this to, to render good results. Um, actually, let me try this again. No. Okay, yeah, I don't have a good example, but that that's the process, right? You you start the GDB server on one machine and then it's it's running the application that you you know you need debugged and then and then it idles away in server mode. Meanwhile, on another machine, you can GDB target remote to that to your target along with the port number and barring any firewalls or uh you know, any kind of block between you and that host, you should be able to see the output of GDB in your client machine. It's important to note that this does not, this is not limited to TCP connections. So if, for, for instance, you were developing on, uh, say, a, a prototype board that doesn't have a network stack yet, or, or, or just an embedded device with, with no, uh, network stack or that you you're not able to put onto your network or whatever the the scenario might be you could you can also connect through other ports like the serial port and and so on so it is it, it can be rather versatile when you need it to be myself i don't really foresee myself seeing that anytime using that anytime soon but you never know you never know when it'll come up and it's certainly nice to know that it is that it that it exists, that it's there if you need it, and now you know how to use it more or less. I think that's it for uh, GDB. So I'll close out this episode, and next time we'll pick things up with Git Text Dash Tools. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. Listening to the GNU World Order Ogcast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as Ogcast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at klatu at member.fsf.org. That's klatu at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time.
superstitions of the ages, the hidden recesses of the human psyche, these were his subjects. <laughs> 